0: Well, good morning. It's good to be with uh, you all this morning in this odd time that we find ourselves watching from our living rooms. And yet, um, I do think it's an apt time for the sermon series that we're in um, called The Hope of Heaven. And what Todd taught us last week is that the destination of the entire world is not destruction. Um, He didn't say this, but I like to say this. uh, The world is not going to be blown up like the Death Star, right? In the end times, when Jesus returns, the hope of the world is for it to be restored. That when Christ returns, he's going to make all things new, redeeming and and restoring what God created to be good back to its original intent and then to more. The restoration of all things is our hope, creation-wide. But the question that we're going to tackle this morning is, what about sin? What about sin and death and Satan? This morning we're going to see that Christ will one day completely and utterly destroy Satan, sin, and death, and the restoration of all things, and his victory over them will be final. Um, From this space before, uh, I have talked about my uh, troubled car history, right, when I was um, a freshman in college, I was driving to, um, a vacation trip with my best friend and actually my, uh, not my wife but my girlfriends at the time, best friend and her boyfriend. And we flipped three times and landed upside down. And I totaled a car. Everyone was safe, right? Everyone was okay. Uh, but it was a pretty traumatic event. I was left carless as I should have been. My parents very generously had bought me that car and I totaled it. And so I didn't have a car. Enter in my buddy, uh, Frank, whose mother had a very, very, very old and beat up car in her yard. It was called Myrtle. It was blue, old, beat up, junky. I've actually talked about it one other time from the pulpit um, that I got to drive for that entire summer and um, he gave it to me for free. Now, uh, Myrtle was a source of shame for me in a lot of ways because um, it smelled bad. It had dents and scratches all over it. Uh, But most of all, the reason why I hated it was because it was almost a physical embodiment of my irresponsibility, the danger that I had put my friends in, um, totaling of a car that my parents had bought for me. And I felt shameful having to drive around in it. Um, funny enough, uh, I, don't even, I didn't even document it. I've got one picture of it in my entire record that you can see on the screen. Um, and it's, it's not even of the car, right? I took the picture of our yard because it was a rare day in Clemson when I was in college that it snowed. But you can see kind of what we're dealing with. You can see if you look closely the bungee cord that's holding the, the hood closed. I felt so shameful about that car that I didn't even document it. And in, and in 2008, we put everything on Facebook. So I'll never forget uh, the day when my uncle sold me his old Mercedes. He had kept really good care of it. It was a wonderful, beautiful car. It was very old, too, from the 80s, but he had kept immediate, uh, sorry, immaculate uh, care of it. And Andre and I drove Myrtle to the only logical place that you would drive an old, beat-up, crappy car that no one wanted. We drove it to the scrapyard. And I'll never forget driving it onto the weigh station and seeing how much it weighed and watching them as they drove it uh, to the compressor. And I watched with delight as this huge machine slowly crushed Myrtle to utter smithereens. I felt like in that moment that my shame was crushed under it as well. I felt lighter in a way than I had in years, like a large weight had been lifted off my back. And not just lift it off, but but I got to see it completely destroyed. And it was like this incredible feeling. Uh, The 150 bucks I got for it, it was not a heavy car. Uh, Felt nice uh, for a college kid as well. As Christians, uh, the weight of our sin and shame is something that often feels that way, doesn't it? Like something we can't escape from. Like something we can't get away from. We look in the mirror and sometimes only see our shortcomings, our shame, what's wrong with us, our sin, our inadequacy. And then we look out in the world and we see deep darkness and brokenness. We see injustice after injustice. We see our world wasting away. We, we see the effects of sin and Satan ravage the world. We see addiction and racism and hatred and bigotry and misogyny. Unkindness, anger, fear, and shame, and it seems like there's no escape from it. Our sin and the sin of the world seem like they're almost ultimate realities with no end in sight. And yet, in the passage that we just read, we see that our sin, we see that the sin of the world, and we see the king of sin, Satan himself, are not ultimate realities. They won't just be defeated. One day they will be completely removed without a trace. They won't be put aside. They will be completely eradicated. They won't be held back. They will be utterly destroyed. Forgotten. Like I watched the physical embodiment of my shame completely crushed under the weight of that compactor, so will Satan, sin, and death be completely destroyed one day when Jesus returns to restore all things. His restoration means complete and utter removal of all that Satan has dominion over and wages war with all of his power, everything under his control, eradicated. Um, I need that message this morning. I've struggled during the stay at home. I've been anxious and scared and restless, and it feels like it's an ultimate reality that I can't get away from. And I know you have to. We are feeling the effects of the brokenness of the world right now. And because we're feeling it, we more than ever need the hope of heaven this morning. We need the hope of victory and of restoration. And that hope is our thesis this morning. That Christ will once and for all destroy Satan, sin and death and, and restore all things. And today we're going to see that his victory spells hope for us. And it spells hope for us just in two ways. One We will experience present restoration from sin, and we must hope in future complete restoration from sin. So present restoration from sin, and we hope in complete future restoration. So verses 7 and 8 that we just read says this, and when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle, battle. Their number is like the sands of the sea. So the first thing that we notice in these verses is, is Satan, who um, the father of deceit and sin and lies is, is released from his prison to come and deceive the nations. One thing that's important for us to remember uh, while we break down this passage, and, and honestly throughout this whole sermon series, is that Revelation is a genre of literature. What that means is we have to take it for what it was written or how it was written. It's apocalyptic literature. John didn't attend for it to be taken literally, but for it to stoke our imagination and learn generally how the end times were going to be. So even the thousand years here that's mentioned in verse 7, they're not to be taken literally. The, The thousand years themselves represent the time when Jesus came and when Jesus comes again to set all things new. Or in other words, the time we're in now. And in the way that the Bible handles numbers, 10 represents fullness A thousand is 10 times 10 times 10. So the thousand years here represents fullness upon fullness upon fullness. So what John is saying here is that Jesus will return in the perfect fullness of time. In the same way, Gog and Magog are not literal people. Uh, And John is actually alluding to Ezekiel 38. Uh, It shows that uh, Magog is a nation and and Gog is the king of that nation. And they are um, antagonistic and enemies of Israel. John uses them in in Revelation as a metaphor for all of Satan's followers, all who follow Satan, um, that Christ will allow out of prison when he returns. Now, but there's something really important about uh, this verse that is easy for us to miss. I don't want us to notice that it says that God lets Satan out of prison, which means at the end of the 10,000 years, at the end of the thousand years, that means that right now in the in-between time that Satan is imprisoned. In other places in Revelation, it talks of Satan being bound. In Mark, we see Jesus bind the strong man in one of his parables. That's the representation of Satan. The work of the enemy right here and right now is hindered and held back by Jesus. And now his influence is still felt. His kingdom of sin and darkness is still here and he can still influence and work. But he is bound. He cannot completely even now thwart God or his church. The most important thing for us right here and right now is that Satan has no power to stop the spread of the gospel in God's people. Can he influence us? Yes. Can, can he hinder us? Yes. But his power was broken on the cross and he is in chains. And his power over us pales in comparison to the power that is behind Jesus' claim over us and the victory that he won on the cross. And bound or not, um, we still feel his presence, don't we? And in prison or not, the work of the enemy still reigns um, through his followers and through the sin in our hearts. And we do feel those effects. But this first gives us hope and a tangible hope that we can experience even right now. Because we can experience restoration from sin right now in this moment. And we don't always, right? If you're like me, we at times stay up late thinking about the dumb things that we said or the mean comment that we made to a friend that we regret. The angry way we lashed out at our spouse or our kids. I mean, guys, times are tough in homes right now. I find my rope incredibly short. It's so easy to snap. And my family, and I've done it, and I regret it every time I do. And then I feel shame. And I know you do too. Some of you are struggling with deep sin issues, addiction, pornography, adultery. You feel like you're spiraling. But let me remind you of something. The enemy is in chains and you don't have to be. You are free in Jesus Christ. The influence of the enemy and of his kingdom of sin and death will only have the power we give it. Reject it, repent, and find freedom in Jesus Christ. Through his death and resurrection, we've been given freedom from our former way of life. From the dominion of sin and evil, remember and receive that freedom anew. And Some of you feel the effects of the fall. Um, You struggle with anxiety and depression and other mental issues you can't control. And the last thing I would tell you to do is just pray it all away as if you can tap into the Holy Spirit like the force and fix all of your problems. But here's what my hope for you to be. To seek Jesus. Who does promise restoration? And maybe your problems won't all go away, but if you seek Him, you will find Him and He will meet you. He will give you rest. Your anxiety and depression do not have to be chains in light of the grace, presence, and mercy of Jesus Christ, who is meeting you through the power of the Holy Spirit and even in your prayers. Some of you have been sinned against and it weighs extremely heavy on you every day. You've suffered through abuse spiritual, physical, emotional, or otherwise. Some of you have experienced racism or misogyny. Some of you have experienced betrayal, harm, and pain from people close to you, and it weighs on you like a ton of bricks. And yet, in Jesus Christ, we can find restoration even from the sin done against us. And when it weighs us down, controls us, and hurts us, the enemy wins. He puts his chains on us. Chains we don't even choose. And yet in Jesus Christ, we can find resurrection because on the, on the cross, those chains were broken. He is not bound. Jesus Christ is not bound. He is at work and he is all powerful and he wants to free you from the sin done to you against your will. This is what restoration means. It's a return to what we were meant to be if sin was never in the picture. And Jesus Christ is in the business of that restoration, even for you right now. Because Satan is bound, the chains of sin fall off of us and the death of Jesus Christ. Will you let them fall off of you? Um, Think of with me just briefly, all of the um, epic stories And as I'm um, a nerd, as we know that at this point, um, the epic stories that I tend to love are are, are the ones of of fantasy. And and I I was thinking this week of um, all of them have this point, typically towards the end, um, when all is lost, when all is wrong. And I think of... um, the Lord of the Rings, and at the, the battle at Mordor at the gates, when all the armies of man, they're so depleted, they go to the gates and they're completely surrounded by the forces of Sauron. Or, or I think of um, the end of, of Harry Potter, where, where Harry has, has died and he's in Hagrid's arms, but in Voldemort is forcing them to walk back to Hogwarts, where all the students and teachers, just a few of them, are gathered, and Voldemort's army is huge. All is lost. Or I think of Game of Thrones when um, Jon Snow is, is trying to, f- to, to fight off uh, Ramsey Bolton and his entire army is surrounded. You can see all these pictures on the screen. All is lost completely. He's about to be trampled and suffocated by his own men because they're so surrounded and panicking. And almost every epic story that's been told, there's a time when the enemy gathers with all of his strength of his force and he surrounds the good guys. And we see in these verses in Revelation, that's exactly what's happened. Jesus returns and he allows Satan out of his prison. And Satan goes and he gathers all of his forces, all of his power, all of his followers, everything he could ever muster up. And he circles and surrounds God's people in the end times when Jesus returns. But at the gates of Mordor, uh, when all seems lost, Gollum bites Frodo's finger and, he, and the ring and him fall into the pit and destroying Sauron and, and then the ground literally swallows up the armies of Sauron and, and then when uh, at Harry, he wakes up, the evil part of him destroyed, he jumps out of Hagrid's arms and the, the two armies start to fight and Voldemort's curse has been broken and him and his followers of spells don't even work. And, and Harry defeats him. Voldemort's own spell bounces back on himself and dies. And his army surrenders. Or at the end, it seems that John Snow would be defeated. The Knights of the veil vale come out of nowhere, break through that surrounding army, descending on them, and breaking through them like a knife going through butter. The day is saved. And the same way Satan's army surrounding God's people, everything he can muster and God destroys him completely for good. And if our first point talked about experiencing the hope of God's restoration from our present sin, because Christ has victory over Satan and sin and death. Our second point talks about hoping in our future, complete restoration in, in Christ's victory. And this is what we see in these verses. Verse nine says that Satan and his symbol. Armies march up over the broad plain of earth and surround the camp of the saints. And the beloved city. But fire came down. From heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them. Was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur. Where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night. Forever and ever. God who uh, imprisoned Satan. lets him out. He allows him to gather all of his forces. So that he can have all of his power. Everything he could ever muster. So that. In finality, evil can be destroyed. No question remaining, not even a hint or a trace of his influence remaining. His deceit, his sin, his evil, his power, completely and utterly destroyed. And what I love about this, it's not going to be our battle to fight. It's God's. Fire comes down and consumes him and throws him into hell. This is our hope. This morning. This is what complete restoration will look like. I want you to imagine with me a world with no evil, a world with no injustice, a world with no tears and no suffering and no pain and no brokenness and no shame and no guilt and no anger and no murder and racism, no abuse and no addiction. These are the tools of the enemy and they will be completely destroyed one day, gone forever. Satan's complete and utter power, at the height of his power that he could ever accrue, is not even close to the power of God. One thing that I love about our people at Hope Chapel is that um, we have a strong sense of justice. We desire for oppressed and marginalized people to be cared for and provided for, unjust systems and organizations to find justice. We hate injustice. But the reason we hate injustice is because we really hate Satan and his kingdom who deceives and influences people to be unjust. We hate his kingdom of lies and deceit, and we hate his work of sin. We hate that he breaks peace, the shalom of God, and we long for the day when his influence and power are gone. And we see in this verse that that day is coming. That day will come. When Jesus returns and God puts an end to Satan and his kingdom for good. And on that day, we will experience something we only have a taste of now. We will experience life without a hint of sin in it. We will experience life without a hint of injustice. We will experience life without a hint of shame. We will experience life as it was always meant to be. That is what the restoration that is promised to us in Jesus's victory over Satan. Um, I want to walk us through briefly how Isaiah 65 describes this. Because um, if you're anything like me, where we are this morning, we need to hear this. Isaiah 65 says this in verse 18. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. So in the new heavens and the new earth, all that is wrong, all sin, all that isn't right will be forgotten. Not even able to come to mind. It's erased completely. Verse 19 says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more will our tears fall into our hands or our pillows at night because there will be no more reason to cry out of distress or anxiety or depression. All of that will be gone, swallowed up in the rejoicing of God and his beloved people. And then 20 says, no more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. There never again will be miscarriages, stillborn births, babies dying. Never again will there be men and women whose spouses outlive them. Never again will there be parents who outlive their children. The absolute devastation of that will never happen again. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. My chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. We will build things, make culture and work without any curse of sin, without any lack of purpose, without any monotony, without any sadness in Christ's new heaven and new earth. The wolf and the lamb in verse 25 shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like ox. The dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. The wolf and the lamb, the lion, the serpent, the hunter and the hunted will all be in perfect harmony. With one another and with God on his holy mountain, his holy city and the new heavens and the new earth. This is our hope. This is what we are destined for. This is what is in our near future. And we can taste it now, but we long for it. We ask Jesus to return and make it so now. This is why the ancient cry of the church has always been, Come, Lord Jesus, come. We are awaiting people. Awaiting people who are desperately hope for our Messiah to return and defeat the enemy in this kingdom of sin and destruction once and for all so that we can be rid of all of it for good. And once again, man can dwell with God and God with man as it was always made to be perfectly. Uh, funny enough, I, um, I do have good memories of, of, of our beloved and now deceased Myrtle. One time me and my buddies, um, packed like eight of us in it. Sorry, mom. Um, limbs everywhere and we drove to downtown charleston and the waterfront back just and back just to do it um and it ran amazingly well for how old and beat up it was but it needed to die it needed to die for all the reasons i stated earlier but also because i needed to let that part of me die here's what we need to remember jesus christ died so that our sin our shame and our guilt and our punishment could be paid for But he didn't have to do that. And you know what? He didn't need to do that. He chose to do it for your sake and for mine. Now, death itself was never supposed to be a part of the good creation that God made. Death is unnatural and it's wrong. We shouldn't have to die to go and be with Jesus. But because of the sin in the world, we do. But Jesus died so that one day death would also be a thing of the past. One day we will no longer have to mourn those who have died because death itself will be gone forever. This is why 1 Corinthians 15 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. John Dunn wrote a a famous poem called Death Be Not Proud, and the last two lines are this One short sleep past, we wake eternally, and death shall be no more. Death. Thou shalt die. You see, Christ's victory isn't just over sin and Satan. It's over death that sin and Satan cause. It seems this morning that death is all around us. And we mourn those that we have lost. And we mourn those that we will lose. And we are thankful that those who have died are in the arms of Jesus Christ. And he's holding them and they are worshiping together. But we can mourn even more that they had to die to get into his arms. Because one day we can hope that death itself will die. When Christ Jesus returns to restore all things. When Christ has complete victory over the enemy once and for all. So come, Lord Jesus, come. May it be so.